And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. So we're going to start this episode off as um, a little trigger warning um, and a little bit of... Um, it may be sensitive if you are pregnant or going through a pregnancy or postpartum. This episode is going to be about postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis. And I just wanted to preface that um, before we get into um, some interesting things that that we are going to talk about. Um, David, you're kind of in the mix of this because you are dealing with a wife who is currently pregnant. Is postpartum depression something that you have been worried about for, you know, your wife? Like, is it something that you have thought about? Has she thought about it? Um, are you prepared? Am I prepared for anything that's about to happen? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> so I'm glad we said that. We're not prepared. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you trying to, like, set yeah. me off the defense? No, right no, now? definitely not. I know I mean it in a good way because let me tell you, if you just listen to the season before this, I have some of the best specialists that have come on that are in postpartum depression, postpartum, you know, mood and anxiety disorder, perinatal mood and anxiety. Um, we talk about psychosis. I have incredible resources that I want to turn everyone to, um, to go and find. But I think the reason why this is such a hot topic is because, you know, a few weeks ago, um, there was the conversation um, of, Lindsay Clancy, um, a woman who was suffering a bipolar, not bipolar disorder. Well, actually, I don't know, but she was suffering postpartum psychosis. Um, that is something I do know. And um, she uh, took uh, she took the life of three of her children and tried to take her own life um, in a state of psychosis. Um, and the reason why I'm so fired up about talking about this is not even just because it's something that I just went through of, of postpartum, not psychosis, but postpartum in general, but it is something that I was so fearful of having that it almost ate me alive because it was all I would think about every day is, am I just a hop, skip and a jump from having a postpartum psychosis? Um, because when you live with bipolar disorder, it's a very high likelihood that this is something that is going to happen to you. Um, and to know that she was getting help five times a week, to know that the doctor said to her husband, do not leave her alone. And for the 25 minutes that he left to go get takeout, this happened. This is something that was very fearful um, for me because I'm still breastfeeding. And sometimes they say, postpartum depression does not come until after you finish breastfeeding because of the hormone change. So I, I'm I'm not trying to be like fear mongering on you or like fear, fearful to myself. Don't you worry. Um, but I I want to talk about this and I want to talk about resources and I want to talk about medicine because this to me was just a wake up to be like the system is failing us once again. It is failing mothers. Um, what is something that we can do? to share knowledge, to help out, to maybe help one person that, that is is battling this or fearful that they're going to battle it, aka even myself, what can we do? You know, what is the, what is new with the, the neuroscience of it all? 
This is a loaded question. I'm sorry that I'm making you do this we're episode gonna, today, but gonna, I I need it. We're going to flip the roles. Okay. Instead of me answering all the questions, I'm yeah. going to ask a shit ton of questions. Go for it. Let's go it. <laughs> Switching the roles. Beauty in the brain. Switching the roles. I, we always know that I've been the beauty. I'm going to ask you as an individual, and I will do my best to fill in with facts that I okay. do know about. I've delivered three babies. Who you know this? I've... I'm sorry. Hold the phone. You delivered three babies. Whose children yeah. are you delivering? Um, I like I medical school. My, yeah, I have my paramedics license. So when I thought I was going to be a doctor, doctor, in the summer of college, yeah. I I did my paramedic EMT license, and every summer in between, like freshman or in between sophomore and junior. And then junior and senior year, I ran on the ambulances in Chicago and floated in emergency rooms. So, so I've done a what lot was that of experience like? With, oh, terrifying. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but to get to get an EMT license, I think nationally, certainly in the state of Illinois, uh-huh. um, you got to know how to deliver in case you get a 911 call in an ambulance and someone's got to deliver in the back of an ambulance. And it happens so because I know one of my friends, his wife went into labor and the paramedics were the ones that, that did the delivery because it was ambulance. last minute and it was on the news. It was a big deal. So it happens way more often than you I'm think. I'm sure. Um, so I do to do this. You need like actual hours. You go into the hospital, you go into like a labor and delivery, like, unit in a hospital right. and you hang out for a couple of days and at the end of those couple of days i made friends with the ob and i was just like hey let me just deliver one so i delivered two in the hospital and then on a call i delivered a third like in the parking lot of an emergency room what? so i didn't really deliver that one but but still when it works and like everything goes to plan it's the easiest thing to do in the world right right well <laughs> it's the ones that are you. complicated that are the easy hard ones for me not so much um but yeah, so that's wild. Um, so I feel like I have a decent sense from a medical training standpoint sure. of what labor and delivery looks like. Sure. I think it's very funny. Even I will throw my wife under the bus here. I was like, how do you give birth? And she's like, your water breaks and then you get have a baby. And I'm like, there's about 15 steps in between those two things that you're about to. Mm. Oh, God. <laughs> so just like generally speaking. And like, I, I will make this argument sexist at some point because this is where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> In a good way. But like the general public's knowledge around labor and delivery mm-hmm. as well as the complications associated with it, as well as what is termed the fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. And sort of like medical communities and like now you're seeing that terminology sort of bleed out into like culture as well. Sure. Um, for postpartum breastfeeding, how do you recover as a mother? Like you go through a very physical task. You mm-hmm. like rip your ab muscles open and your uterus is this big. Yeah. Another great hand. Another great hand thing. Large gaping <laughs> uterus is what we're saying. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like there are so many things that your body has to recover that like yeah. does it quite quickly, to be honest. And like the grand scheme of things, like it's crazy that like your body recovers from pregnancy faster than you would if you broke a bone. It does. Like, if you just, like, it still doesn't feel I mean, like, like my body's fixed. <laughs> but I mean, like, think. I mean, 
Sure. Things have been rearranged. Sure. But, sure. but, <laughs> but no, from, I like, understand that. Trauma. Yes, because my wrist, I broke my wrist when I was 20 years old and I am currently 35. And listen, like that still, is still, still still broken. Still broken. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, like you, you essentially, for the average human being that delivers a baby vaginally, I mean, like you push a seven to eight pound human out. You tear a bunch of muscles, connective tissue, and then it puts itself back together. What, like four to six weeks? You break a bone, you're in a cast for eight weeks. It's like it's true. It's, it's actually true. It's true. It's true. The body has not snapped back, but but yes, it's it's the the vagina snapped back. I'll say that. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. So I mean, it's like it's it's crazy. Yeah. Like, be like contextually speaking, I don't think people. Like we're much more familiar with other medical ailments, although right. every single person you know has been born, right. which is like which is a, crazy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, we really do a bad job in medicine. Um, once people have given birth, mm. post-op care in hospitals is abysmal. Yeah, it. I would agree. You know, like being on an OB floor was seeing having friends go through it, talking to people that have given birth as well as like my own experiences. Like you get a nurse in your room every five minutes, if not constantly while you're going through active labor. Yeah. And then you deliver the baby and the baby comes out and it gets an APGAR score. And I said, APGAR score is good. They hand you the baby back and they basically say good luck. A hundred percent. Do you know that? I mean, I had one really amazing. I no, actually, that's not true. I had two postpartum nurses that were very friendly and very kind um, because I was going through a lot and I, I, I had to be on mm-hmm. Pitocin um, afterwards. Like it was nuts. And yeah. um, there, there was one nurse that was telling me that I was killing my baby by the way that I was not breastfeeding properly and that my baby was starving and it was my fault. And I was like, well, for nothing, no one has ever Forgot eaten say, yeah. milk from my tits before. Um, and secondly, damn. no one is in here. I know, <laughs> damn. And secondly, no one is in here helping me or teaching me Maybe. what I should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. So, and they kept jamming my breast in my baby's mouth over and over. And they're like, Lots she's not off. latching. She's not latching. Let me tell you, when I ended up leaving the doctor, like, I mean, I leaving the hospital and checking out. It was a day later and they were like, you're not going to have milk. Like you're going to have to formula feed while it was a formula shortage. It was like, there were so many panic moments, yeah, yeah. but literally my friend came over that, that to bring over food. And she looked at me and my boobs were just leaking with milk, leaking. just like overflowing. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it just wasn't ready to come in yet because they don't talk about yep. that. Sometimes your milk doesn't come in for a couple days after the baby is born, you know, but and there like, were like lovely. little things like that where it's just like, why and I and and at the time Sturgis had gone to the um uh, to the to give the birth certificate to give the name so he was not with me to stand up for me you know and he comes back and I'm hysterically crying and he's like what's wrong with you and I'm like she's yelling at me she's telling me I'm killing the baby he's like what is going on are you kidding yeah. me like <laughs> I, I, it was just a disaster and I feel yeah. like. I did, couldn't even remember what this nurse's name to even say like, hey, except it happened to my friend who gave birth three weeks after me. The same nurse did yep. the same thing to her. It's bad. It, it's bad. And like, look, like I'm not going to sit here and, and and shit talk nurses. No, um, but it was a, like. It's a systemic issue. I mean, like, I feel like we're getting. But we're just cattle. Every... So that's my point is I'm just yeah, cattle in the sense of the doctor. System. I'm the system. I'm cattle. Yeah. And like, I, I definitely think doctors care 
Like, I don't sure. think they view you as cattle, but I no. do think this idea of there's stress in the medical system, the average patient interaction that a primary care physician has with a human being when you like go in for a visit is like sub six minutes now. Yeah. So like Even you essentially have, it was last year. Yeah. You've got, yeah, you've got like five minutes essentially to take, to read a chart, talk to a patient and deliver a diagnosis. And if you can't deliver a diagnosis, like do some medicine that helps you get closer to, to delivering a diagnosis and like the frame of, what it takes to order a Starbucks coffee. Like it is a very hard job. I don't want to talk bad mouth anybody. And like, I do want to point out that like more and more labor and delivery units now have lactation consultants for every single patient. Who I just wanted to say to was amazing. Like, they brought, my doctor yeah. brought in a lactation consultant into the hospital when I was postpartum mm -hmm. and she was an angel. And she was like, everything you're doing is fine. Your baby is healthy. You are beautiful. This is great. Like you're going to get through. And I was like, that's all I need. I just needed that. Yeah, that's you know? all you need. Yeah. And like, you know, like a, a fed baby is a healthy baby. Like we're doing a lot and there a lot is changing, I think, in labor and delivery. But like what I'm gassing up right now is like acute labor and delivery. Like you, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> like you have a baby. If you deliver vaginally without a C-section, you're in the hospital for what, 24 or 48 hours? Yeah, I no was about 48 hours, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you have a C-section, it's about twice as long. Let's just mm -hmm. for the ease of math. Um, and then you go home. And then you have a wellness visit, what, like Six weeks oh, later. less than a week? Well, well, you have, like, you bring a baby home. Right. And that that baby's got to go see a pediatrician within n number of oh, days right, after right, being right, home. Right, right. So, like, what we do is we transition from a hospital, private, not private, acute care setting mm -hmm. for both mother and child mm -hmm. into a clinical setting where we are doing wellness checks on the child. The, 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 the insurance gets billed to the child, not to you anymore because you have delivered it. And you see a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And at some points of those interactions with a pediatrician or a family doctor that treats, you know, like we ask the mom how she's doing. But like, I mean, let's be real. You ever taken a depression screener for postpartum? I took that one. That was given to you by a physician? At six weeks postpartum. Yes. Six weeks postpartum. Six weeks is too late. And let me tell you this. It's too fucking late. They gave it to me. It's no. so bad. No, like, actually, that's not true. Not let me, let me correct this. No, no, no. I got it. The day after I gave birth, I was in the hospital. And then a postpartum yeah. nurse came in and she gave a screener. Mm -hmm. And she was very careful with me because I had said that I was living with bipolar one disorder. Mm -hmm. So she asked me a few extra questions. But what she just was- Just a few. Just a few extra questions. <laughs> um, but she was really great about it word. because she was, I was like laughing about it. I was like, girl, I was like- this screener, like, I know I, I can either cheat the system right now with the screener and, or I can be totally brutally honest, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm like, I, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how many answer yeah. this. And then six weeks later, I had a screener at my OB um, and that was it. And that was it. That's it. What's the and time frame you, that most what? women develop? Well, I just want to quickly say, and just, I want to preface so other people know that 10 days postpartum, 10 days post-delivery, I was in the hospital on a Friday night starting at 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. because I was excessively bleeding and they didn't know if I needed another transfusion. Then three weeks later, I had a DNC, which for 
those who may not know what that is, it happens usually a lot with miscarriages and they solderize the inside of your uterus. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two weeks after that, that's when they gave me the postpartum and like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I, I, I feel fine, but like, I don't just feel cauterized I'm just cauterized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just cauterized, but I feel fine. You know? So there was not enough time. It so stops. what is the time frame? To, please to share that. No, but I like to say that you, you it, it's going to show up 10 days to six months after delivery are yeah. going to be early warning signs. And like we, so the way this is done, it's like, again, like you should be bringing your child in for like appointments with its pediatrician or like family doctor to do vaccinations, do health checks, make sure the baby's growing, like all these sorts of things that we have built in that are focused on what you baby. just gave birth to, like that, 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 that healthcare system. And then like, if you have a good physician who's attuned, they will ask the mother how she's doing. Yeah. But it is not any current standard of care right now to screen, have follow-up visits with OBs. Like, You've seen an OB because you had a complication. Right. Which is what but I like did, if you right. didn't have complications, you wouldn't have seen an OB for how many months? Right. 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 A month and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's just like there's such a gaping hole mm-hmm. in between acute like labor and delivery mm-hmm. and like the first follow-up screening that like we put so much. Like you have to manage your own care and emotions and be diligent that you're not going to develop postpartum. Like, by the way, it's like almost 20% right. now right. of women after delivery develop some sort of postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. And it's like, oh, you're a, you're a new mother. Let's give you another thing to monitor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on your own. Yeah. On your own. On your own. And let's so give you something that I'm you're going to be scared to share with people because you're afraid oh, that yeah, they're yeah, going to yeah, take yeah, the doc, yeah, the, the, your, your baby, baby away, away from yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Does that happen? This is where I'm going to get sexist with it. In most relationships, historically speaking, women give birth and the man. This is no longer the case. I'm Right, right. But like what we need to do is we need to associate partners into the process. Like, I should be given the screener for you. Right, right. Like, there should be part of this that is, like, an objective third party. Right. So, like, from a like, initial standpoint question, it's like, we need to obviously be doing self-screeners. We need to be, we need patients. People have just gone through labor and delivery to check in directly with doctors. But, like, a great third party check would be the other person in that relationship if you're so grateful to have one. It doesn't need to be the biological other partner. It Mm-mm. could be a nanny. It could be a mother. It could sure. be a father. It could be a sister. It could be yeah. any care sort of caretaker Friend, association. Right. We don't do it. No. Why? Like it, it's so hard to be like, oh, and especially if you're on the spectrum of like from mild to severe and you are in a place where you are experiencing psychosis, like, okay, like as a physician, as a clinician, it's going to be really easy for me to understand that you are experiencing psychosis. Right. But you know who it's not going to be easy for? You. No. <laughs> We're asking people to self-identify if they're being psychotic or not. I'm like, um, since when has that worked? No. 
No, and I will tell you something. When you're when you're in a state of psychosis, right, and you're seeing hallucinations and you're losing it, I read this thing this girl had, had posted in response to to everything that was happening mm-hmm. with Lindsay Clancy, and she said that she had woken up to her baby being blue, right? Like like obviously looked blue, suffocated, whatever. And mm-hmm. she said she remembers just waking up and shaking the baby to be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And her partner walked in and was like, what the fuck are you doing? And realized that she was hallucinating that she was seeing the baby blue, right? I mean, yeah. and, and and the girl goes, I had no no idea beforehand. You know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it just, it happens, right? It happens. It happens. And just because, you know, and, and what's also like insane to me is that they said to the husband, you know, oh, don't leave your wife's side. Well, Who's going to get the food? Who's going to do these things? Like, yeah, yeah, and then, no, and then it's already, an, it's then, an impossible position that we put new parents in. Both the the primary, not primary, but like the the laboring parent as well as the the person that right. is also. So I guess like my question is associated with it. It's what very is something that we can do to tell moms, to tell dads, to tell you know partners, to tell whatever? What is something that we can tell them? Hey. This is what you. This is a resource that you should be looking into, or this is this is something that you would recommend. I gotta Google something in the middle of the podcast. Okay, what's our infant mortality rate? We're thirty three out of thirty eight in first world nations. We have the best healthcare system in the world. Objectively, we can argue about the ins and outs of it. Okay, objectively, we have a very good healthcare system in the world. Top two, three, four. We're thirty. 30 out of 38 in infant mortality rate, which still doesn't capture everything that we're talking about. But like the point I'm trying to make is if you look at the countries that are very high on that list, what they have is a socialized medicine across the board. Very good at keeping people alive. Not very good at seeing many people and making people money who are in the healthcare industry, but very good at keeping people alive. And two, they have family structures that are larger and more multi-generational than family structures in the u.s household right right like the solution to this problem is more people who are closely interacting with you and your child okay because two isn't enough like you have a newborn two is not enough people to take care of a child yeah and then if you go and look at places where multi-generation households exist like japan it's very high on that list right right Right. You have built in babysitters for grandparents. You have cousins. You live in neighborhoods and communities. Like the, 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 if you look at like old world, like I don't want to use the word commune, but I'm like black. No, 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 but it, but it is. Like if it you is. look at communities sure. that gave birth together, parents would share breast milk across all the babies that needed that. Right, right. People would pump like hand expire yeah. breast milk that then they would put in jars that then they could feed all the babies in the community. And which like it is a distributed process. Mm-hmm. And through that distribution of resources, you get better health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like any health economist that's like worth their weight at an Ivy League institution should be like screaming this at the top of their lungs. It is what we're just like culturally not set up. No. To do it. My mom lived with us for I would say the first four weeks mm-hmm. um and it, she slept on on the couch bless her you know every single ever and literally if i wasn't watching her like 
mm-hmm. then Sturgis would, then my mom. And it was like everyone was passing around to make sure like we're going to be here to support. And I think that it was an extra support because for the first six weeks, I could not hold her for more than 10 minutes because I was so lightheaded because I had lost so much mm-hmm. blood and my body mm-hmm. was like still like getting back in yeah. the groove of things. And I couldn't like stand so you're, like, up. Laying you know? down to breastfeed and then nothing else. Yeah. Like right. it is, it is a, a really interesting process. And like you look at people with like higher incomes in America, like essentially what they're doing is expanding that commune yeah. that they otherwise wouldn't yeah. have access to. I mean, you're getting a night nurse and like that's such yeah, a- I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that is such a luxury. Like my mom was a night nurse, no, yeah. you know? And it's so important. Yeah, and it's like, we don't know? have and that it's so expensive. Here. It's so expensive. It's expensive, but like we don't have friends and family that are close. Right. Like I'm here for school. Yeah. Like we're moving in three months. Like everything is so chaotic. Like we need that extra person. Yeah. And like, you know, like I'm very blessed that we are in a financial situation where we can make that happen. But I think that is money that's insanely well spent. Oh. Not only from like yes. uh like I and, and and my partner get time, but like we're more relaxed, we're more well slept. But like also like from a health outcome standpoint, like like if you just do the math on the back of a napkin, you're like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And sleep, I think, is so important. I think that people do not remember this. Yeah, that I mean, sleep like is a, important I, for your for your mind. I love telling the story. We're gonna take a deep part. Okay. I, they they joke. And I don't think it's a joke, but it's like it's like uh, how many like hours do you have to stay awake before you're considered like legally drunk? Like you could take like somebody who's legally drunk. And someone who's sleep deprived for a number of hours and you like track their motor it? skills yeah. or their ability to drive their car. And it's like this, yeah. it's like 18 hours. <laughs> it's like something so unreasonably short. I like casually have been up for 18 hours yeah, this yeah, entire yeah, time. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Like cognitive ability, like most parents that are doing it right now are essentially operating like as individuals that are impaired to wow. what would be considered an otherwise legal level of intoxication. So it like really messes with you. I was in a fraternity, if that doesn't strike you as interesting. Ooh. Part of our Hell Week tradition. What's no sleep? Uh, five days straight. It's like physically impossible. You like and eventually like fall, you start falling asleep, like standing up essentially at like 20 minute intervals, but like, we do the thing where you like essentially torture people to see how long they can stay away. You just like straight up hallucinate. It's nuts. It's crazy. If you haven't done it before, I tempt you. I mean, I will tell you, I feel like I have not slept in seven plus months, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, like it is like, and it's so funny. It's like you eat when the baby, it's like you eat when like, you know, like you exercise when the baby exercises, like you play when the baby plays and it's like you sleep when the baby sleeps and you're like, the baby's like sound asleep and you're like, <laughs> I'm like, is she alive? Is she breathing? Is it okay? Yeah, like that's, that's yeah, yeah, literally yeah. what my, my thought process goes to. I remember, I mean, still we're seven months plus postpartum and I, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I looked to my left cause she's sleeping in bed with us. And I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God, is she breathing? Is she breathing? Is she breathing? Is she breathing? Like that literally that's, and I'm like, she's fine. Like she's happy. She's great. Totally but it, it doesn't matter. It still like drives you. Every time I pick her up and I take her down the stairs, I'm like, oh my God, don't drop her. Don't drop her. Don't drop her. Because that's it. You know what I mean? Like 
And I know that that's normal and it's also not normal. It's also anxiety and it's, it's a, it's a postpartum yeah. mood and anxiety disorder. So this is the like, you know, like we'll come back now that I did my detour. I think I started off saying like what it's like 20% of people will meet criteria for postpartum yeah. depression or anxiety. I don't know what the official numbers, I don't know if anybody's actually ran this. I don't know if anybody surveyed for it in a way that is peer reviewed, published literature. In the sure. Community. But I'd reckon to say, right? I'm a betting man. I'd, I'd place a bet on this. Do a little roulette. I would say I love rolling dice. I love roulette. Dice, right? And crabs. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably guesstimate that 90% of all mothers have serious thoughts about harming their child at some point postpartum. And this isn't like a binary. Like there are people that don't and there are people that do. Right. In my mind, this is a, the anxiety and depressions associated postpartum is a problem that every mother will face. And we have to figure out how to gradate what is mild to certain. Right, right. And there will be many mothers that have these feelings that can talk themselves out of it, that have a partner that is like, you are doing great. I understand why you're feeling like this. All these feelings are valid. Yeah. And there will be a small subsection of those people that struggle, that have them recurring, that act on them, that need to have some sort of medical intervention associated with them. But I think reframing this problem as these are really normal thoughts. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a lot of physical body trauma. Your chemistry is changing inside your body uh, above your shoulders to like change the way you should care for a child and reprioritize things mm-hmm. in your life, but also like peripherally like Mm -hmm. you're producing milk your body your entire abdomen is rearranging itself right like all these for all these reasons all these bodily changes you're gonna have some weird thoughts and dreams and that's Mm -hmm. totally okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what we need to do is we need to train partners and caregivers to understand that these are all normal thoughts and what are the thoughts or what are the repetition of the sub threshold thoughts that push us to a situation where, Hey, maybe we should go and get this checked out. We also need to make it very clear to people that even if they are having the darkest, most twisted thoughts, weird, yeah, weird, that they are not taking your baby away because of your thoughts. Like correct period point blank. It's intent. It's intent. And it's like, uh, objective intent like uh, i'm gonna put on the clinician like yes. I'm now in my scrubs yeah when we're screening for this stuff it is not thoughts like i've heard people say the most outrageous things and they could say them over and over again it's like oh i have this thought constantly and then you ask them like do you have a plan have you ever done anything it's like the same questions that you would get with 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 like with if you're any having other ideation self-harm yes yeah. yes. yes and like if you've seen one of those screeners before, it's like, oh, I have to meet multiple thresholds on plan of action, thought, communication to other people. Like It's the same application to a different thing. Like just because you're having the thoughts and just because you vocalize mm-hmm. them. And even if you say like, oh, I felt like I was going to take action on this once in the last month. Like that is still not right. enough no. to raise you to the threshold. No. We're going to do something. No. No. And the first step is never to take away the child. It's the last thing that we do. Right. And people jump from A to B so fast that they miss that there is actual medical intervention that helps people in between the two steps. But I mean, it is like a, 
it is something we need to talk about. It's something we need to normalize. It is something that like you've got to have the conversation with people before and you're pregnant, plan. while you're pregnant. Yeah, you've got to have the plan. Plan. Like so, like to to answer your question, like yeah, I talk with Annie about this all the time. Okay, good. I mean, it helps. She works for a mental health nonprofit. Yeah, but you know but, I mean? but, like, but also we are like in a situation this. where we're like in a segment of the population that is aware. I understand that, but the girl that things, Lindsay but, Clancy, she was a labor yeah. and delivery nurse, so she yeah. knew. She knew what to do for help. She knew she'd seen this before. Yeah. And I think you've got to have a network. You've got to have a network. Yeah. Networking power. So I do think that like, yeah, I think about it a bunch. Yeah. I'm going to be sleep deprived too. But like, I think it's, and like, I think oh, you need to sleep. normalize these things. Yes. I talk about the, the thing that I've been harping about on people is, um, I mean, like, I don't care. I'll share it. I'll be in a book. I don't feel a connection to this child yet. No, but I think that's so normal for most partners. Yeah, but it's disorienting in a way that I don't feel. Yeah, but I, you know gets what? I'm the airtime that it should. Can I ask, Sturge? Can you come here for a second? I'm no, I'm on air. I just have a question. We're on air. This is Sturge's first time speaking to the microphone. David has a question. He does not feel a connection to his baby right now because currently, right? She's pregnant. She's in the third trimester. Did you feel like a super connection to lady when I was pregnant or it didn't hit you till afterwards? I can you come, can, can you just, I, just speak into the microphone like this I, really fast? Cause I this is videotape. struggling with the same problem. And the good news is everyone does. Yeah. So everyone does. And the, I feel like every, every father like does. male that I've yeah. talked to Everyone is like, does. Oh, you're not going to feel connection while she's pregnant. And, and, and then I you're not going to feel connection like, in the first couple months. And then it's going to turn on, but it's like my I partner's am like falling in love with her. Like my fifth grade crush, like more and more every day. Oh, oh yeah. I and need those feelings. I haven't had those hormones until, in a long and time. And she starts ignoring us. Until like four, <laughs> and then she gets super pumped about us at four. But we go through like great, like oh my god, my like fifth grade crush is totally not into me until she's four, and then she's finally into us if we keep working for it. But that's a pretty normal thing, is the point, right? Like, yeah. and then and when like, she comes that's out, my disassociation it's like, oh my right now. That was Sturgis's dream. Like he like <laughs> finally had a chance to be on the podcast, and he's like, and I just had to push him away. Thank you so much for that. That was so great. Um, no, I think it's like it, it's so like it's this. It's like the two part of it. It's like mm-hmm. Annie's pregnant, and I don't feel a connection with it. I like I'm prepared. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm more prepared than most people because of my background training and interest sure not trying to like be better than other people i just like from like a like a medically i understand right. what's going on i'm i'm really in tune i'm really excited i'm being very supportive of my partner you know like many mothers like don't annie doesn't feel that strong of a connection to this baby so then i've got to be like i don't feel connected but then i've got to convince you that it's okay to not feel connected and like in the very back of my head i'm like oh this is hard let me tell you people now i did not have this experience but I have talked to very, very, very dear friends where they've had their baby, right? They've pushed the baby out vaginally, you know, and had that moment and they don't feel connected at all. They're like, what is this blob that literally just came out of me right now? And that is perfectly normal. 
Like that's yeah. normal too. And I think that that needs to be talked about as well. Like it is normal to not feel that connection right away because at the end of the day, it's like, it's literally this eating, breathing, pooping thing that does nothing but sits there like a blob. And it's hard to feel something there if you're not getting something back. You know, I think a yeah. lot of women go through that. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I, now, like I said, I can't personally speak for that, but that's what people have vocalized to me on asking me, like, do you have a connection? Oh, are you trying to, like, talk more? Oh, oh my God, he wants to say more. Oh, my God, come here real fast. <laughs> Get him back here. The more that they recognize you, the more you recognize them. Words to live by, Sturge. Words to live by. by. You know, that for Sturge's first time on the podcast, that was a that was a moment. That's a slow clap for you. But like so we've gone through the fact that like uh we know nothing about how the medicine works around labor and delivery. Culturally, people have no idea what's going on. We rely on women who already have fifteen other million things to be worried about because they just gave a newborn. Uh, partners are ill-equipped. The medical system isn't ready to support all of us. Um, and we need to accept and understand that everybody has these feelings, both parties in a, you know, child's right. life um, to varying degrees. And uh, then we get to the point of like, okay, let's say you are one of the few that, that gets a diagnosis. Right. There are things we can do now, which is wild. So for the longest time, there was nothing, zilch, nada. It took your baby away from you. Like, and that was the solution. Which is not a solution. No, it makes it worse. Now, there are a new series of drugs that are on the market. They're only indication. We went through indications on the last podcast. So not right. because yeah, right. Is postpartum depression. So they found a specific marker in women who are experienced postpartum depression. It's a neuropeptide, neuro, one of them, somewhere in there. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Synthetic peptide, essentially like GLP one, like right. Ozempic for your baby. Right, Ozempic for your baby, <laughs> yay! Not Ozempic for your baby. Not we're not but giving yes. children Ozempic to lose it. Yeah, yes. it's a similar type of drug, okay. like similar class of medication to Ozempic. Um, that we realize that people who are experiencing postpartum dep- depression aren't making enough of. Just went on the market. Um, allopregnanolone is the name came out of a friend's lab, essentially. (laughs) Wow. The people that made it. Sage Therapeutics bought it, company out of Boston. Um, and it's on label. You have to approve it. It works. There are are supplements. uh, There are drugs. Right. You could supplement postpartum depression with obviously talk therapy is still your gold line standard. Like care. Sure. Mom groups, networks, like family things that you should talk through and, and tell people how you're feeling and, and walk through it. Uh, but we have drugs that work now that we can give people. And I want you to go into your doctor famously, if you're feeling a yeah, little bit off. Like famously. Tell them. Make that appointment. They are your doctor. They work for you. Remember that. Yeah. They, they have developed these drugs purposefully with smaller half-lives so it doesn't end up in your breast milk. It's safe to transmit. Like, it's not a drug that you could take. It's not a drug that you take in postpartum that then, like, screws up the rest of your right. mothering life. Like, right. you can take it. It's healthy. The side effect profile is minimal. And it works. So, like, we're getting there. Like, there will be more. Like, people are working on more. I have a friend who works for the company who works wow. on these drugs. 
she's like a stern Turkish woman. I love her so much. She's the funniest person I know. And like, just like deeply motivated and like providing new like clinical treatment for people. Wow. Like there are solutions now. They're not cures. There's no magic bullet pill as no, much as I wish there was. There are but solutions, like, but they're but talk but, about these things. Go talk to your yes, doctor. but that's there what are, I was gonna say. There may be solutions, but we're not that will help. We're not hearing mm -hmm. about it. So this is David yeah. telling you, remember, the doctor works for you. It's all about being vocal. That's the most important thing that I could say about, you know, postpartum depression is being vocal, talking about it, sharing it with others normalizing it. It's okay to have these like really dark, awkward, bizarre, scary, you know, thoughts when the hallucinations are coming, you know, if you're going through psychosis, you know, the second you feel a little bit off is the second that you tell your partner, the second you tell someone who you have a buddy, or you would just call the doctor and say, Hey, I'm feeling this way. I need to be in immediately because it is something that needs to be immediately changed. That is my rant. That is what I want no, to, to say. And I love you all. Um, and I really just, I, I, I've never felt so strongly about this because I didn't realize that I was suffering with this stuff um, until you hear other people's stories and you realize like, wow, I'm not alone in this. <laughs>